The Simbaroon Effect from RPGGods.org and FictionSuit.org Hi and welcome to the programme. I'm Dave. And I'm Matthew. And today's programme is covering a Simba Room special which will feature the rest of the interview we had with the Yen Ringen guys, uh, Matthias Lilia and Martin Grip, when we saw them in Stockholm last week. What about Henrik? <laughs> Henrik. I ought to explain. We ought to explain, yeah. yeah. Henrik was a guy we met on the street. Martin uh, came uh, to our appointed rendezvous point and introduced himself and shook hands. And then this other guy came along and uh, shook hands with all three of us and introduced himself as Henrik. Um, and we all kind of stood around a bit because we didn't know who he was. He did come over when we said, oh, hello, Martin. He and he did. came over and went, oh, yeah. Martin. So we yeah. assumed he was another person from Jan Ringen or somebody like that who's going to join us. But then Martin had, uh, I have to say, <laughs> the gumption to uh, to say, so what's the deal here? And um, well, he looked he looked at us a bit weirdly and we looked at him a bit weirdly as as if to, we were each saying to each other without saying it who the hell is this guy yeah <laughs> uh, only for it to only for it to transpire that Henrik if that was his name i think, I think was waiting was, yeah. in the exact same spot that we were waiting for another person called Martin yes and so when he heard Martin he was like ha ha that must be the person i was supposed to see uh, much embarrassment all round, but luckily most of it on his side. I hope. <laughs> Interesting start to our uh, meeting with uh, Martin, and uh, then Matthias turned up a little bit after that. Yes, yeah. So uh, Matthias got things on the ball, and they bought us lunch. We did so well for getting uh, food bought for us in Sweden, didn't we? <laughs> we did. They bought us lunch, and then we found a very nice cafe. Uh, to talk to them about uh, lots of stuff, but obviously Simbaroon being a key thing with that. Just for reference to you all, the cafe got busier and busier for the hour that we were there, so the the noise levels will get a bit noisier because it obviously was a public place. But I think everything is still fine. Matt's done an excellent job in trying to get the sound levels to to the point so it doesn't actually spoil the enjoyment of the interview any, I don't think. I don't think so. I think it's a really no. excellent job of noise reduction. If I say so myself. <laughs> that's your real skill, isn't it? That's, your, that's the one thing you're really good at. It's one of the many things I'm really good at. <laughs> you just don't do it often enough, especially when you're being irritating and loud. <laughs> the The other thing that came up last week is Matthew had a horrible cold, which I knew now I have. <laughs> so if I, uh, if I sniffle or cough a little bit, I'm going to rely upon Matthew's skills to noise reduce that out when we come to editing this. Yeah, and I'll, um, I have to say, I'm still recovering from said cold, so I might still sniffle or cough, although hopefully not <laughs> as much as you, Dave. Anyway, that's probably enough about your and my health. Matthew, let's move on to the interview with Matthias and Martin. Yes, let's. Now, in episode 12 of The Coriolis Effect, we played a bit of that interview including the two of them introducing themselves. I guess we're going to play that again so everybody gets to know who they are and attaches their voice to their name. 
But we're actually going to start off at the beginning of the interview this time, aren't we? Yes, that's right. And what we won't do is is replay the Coriolis element of the interview, because this podcast is all about Simba Room and Yen Ringen. If you want to hear, and you haven't already heard the Coriolis elements, go back to episode 12 of The Coriolis Effect, and you can hear it all there. So... This bit of the interview is going to be Martin and Matthias talking about their early days in gaming. Hi and welcome to day two of uh, mine and Matthew's Stockholm Swedish adventure. And today is a gloriously sunny day here in Gammastan in Stockholm. And even more glorious because we are sat in a nice cafe with uh, two of the uh, people from Jernringen. Hoping I'm pronouncing that just about right. Really good. Uh, we have uh, Matthias Lilia, welcome. Thank you. And Martin Grip, yeah. welcome, Hello. welcome, gentlemen. Thank you very much indeed for finding the time to to talk to us. Um, really excited to meet you guys. Um, as as everybody will know, we we are enormous fans of the current version of Coriolis, and are just beginning to understand the history and your involvement in making uh, making the game come alive and and getting it to where it is today. And also, uh, our listeners will, will recognise that I've started playing and looking to Simbaroon. Again, a game that I'm really enjoying and one that um, we'll talk a bit about more uh, a bit later on in, in the interview. But I wanted initially to talk a little bit about your own sort of personal histories in role playing and, and how did you sort of get, get to where you are today in, uh, uh, in your own sort of personal role playing. Sure, sure. Should I, uh, should I start? Yeah, please. Yeah, yes. uh, back in, in up north in Umeå uh, in the early 80s, um, we both have that classic less fair middle class back- background, uh, low pressure from parents, lots of spare time, so what are you going to do with it? <laughs> uh, school is boring. So we tried sports. We tried, uh, Martin's really good at music. I'm not, so I had to try and find something else. So I picked up... Uh, Dungeons and Dragons with with uh, older friends, uh, the English versions. And then there's a Swedish version called um, Drakar Demoner, basically being dragons and demons, which is uh, <laughs> <coughs> though based on the um, the Rune Quest or the uh, the basic role playing rule set. And uh, I think I might have accidentally dragged you with me, Martin. I think so, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's your fault. Yeah, but we knew, we knew from before. We met when we were, I think, seven, Jeez. as we said. I think we we played uh, Dick Turpin fencing uh, with, with well, sticks. Well, not play. Oh, yeah, play, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was serious. Oh, it was, uh, we, we were always serious. He meant it. We were always serious. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was serious. That's why I have all these scars, right? He meant it. I was just fooling around with a stick. <laughs> anyway, no, and, and maybe we were aged, I, I think we're maybe 11, 10, 11. Well, maybe we started dabbling in, in, in role-playing games, uh, just playing, um, goofing around, having fun. Yeah, um, cool. And then... They were teenagers, and then it was too uncool to do. Yeah. So did you carry on playing, yeah. but in, in well, secret? Yeah, it was it was kind of a thing where you, everyone quit, but not really. Yeah. So it was sort <laughs> of... And suddenly you understood that people were actually playing, but like sort of... In other deep under other groups and so underground was, yeah, yeah. so yeah. it was going on like that for a while and then we then everyone came out again yeah. Yeah. as role players yeah <laughs> we didn't care people I, we didn't 
people didn't care about us anyway. So like, no, exactly. Yeah, why are we doing this? Just yeah. to, <laughs> we tried the cool thing for a while, but it didn't work. So the, that way it does. Okay, fuck it. Just uh... <laughs> let's be uncool, I guess. <laughs> so we were, it. and then we, um, and then some of us started um, writing. I mean, we not just for the group, but you know, there was a Swedish roping game called Cult. Oh yes. Uh, it's, it's, it's a resurgence lately with the Kickstarter and everything. Yeah. And um, one of our group, he uh, he started writing and they even got some things, some stuff published. Well, wow, uh, for what was it like that? I yeah. don't remember. Yeah, Andreas. <laughs> he had uh, for he he wrote he wrote stuff for the Metropolis. Yeah, he wrote for, for like conventions and stuff. No, like no, no. That, he but... was also published oh, officially. Okay. So, but I think he didn't get paid for it. Oh yeah! Wow! Yeah, no. Lots of people have done stuff for role playing games and not got paid for it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think he actually got paid, even though you know, you know, it's one of those "don't quit your day jobs." Yeah. But um, no, but so we've been on it, and then skipping ahead, we tried that stuff, you know, careers and you know, having regular jobs, and then we ended up in Denmark, uh, in Copenhagen, in two thousand one, I believe. A fairly wet night. Um, yeah. We often said that we, we should really make a roping game. And we mm -hmm. said that this night as well. And then we went on having beers and talking fake German, whatever you do. Uh, <laughs> and then we woke up next morning and everybody remembered that we actually said that we should, were going to make a roping game. And we. I think we actually started during the sort of intoxication talking about what we should do. Mutant. Yeah. And like, mm. everyone got really excited. And yeah. Because everyone loved that game, and then we started thinking maybe we actually can do this, and yeah. we sort of started to uh, sorry, is it possible for us to do this? And mm. just so, so we, we made the game called the Mutant Undergångs Arvtage with the heirs of Doom, which yeah. be the mm -hmm. uh, which is a forerunner to Fjelligan's uh, Mutant Year Zero. Um, and is there anything that Fjelligan's done that? You didn't forerun. <laughs> well, they've done a lot of things that we've yeah. did before them, but they've done it better. <laughs> so that's them. They also have a bunch of they games took our that staff we and just sort of made it better. It. Yeah. yeah. So can, can I just... Because uh, Mutant has actually got... I'm, I'm aware of it being quite a big sort of franchise yeah. in Sweden. Yeah. And we've got different flavors of it. We've got Year Zero and yeah. Fairly Ganset. Yeah. We've got Modifius are producing... Uh, what they're calling Mutant Chronicles. Yeah, yeah. that's a different thing. Yeah, which yeah. is a different thing. Yeah. But it's had a lot of incarnations in Sweden, hasn't yep. it? Yep. Can you can you give us, for the sake of our non-Swedish listeners, a, a potted it, history it, of the mutant franchise? It started out in in I think eighty four, uh, with with the first one called just called Mutant, mm -hmm. period. It was sort of a Swedish version of uh, Gamma World. Yeah. Yes. Uh, with lots of uh, mutated animals and weird stuff in it, we so loved it. I've still got my own copy of Gamma World on the, sh yes, on the shelf yeah. at home. So, yeah, so love that it, game. It used the same uh, rule set as uh, Drop of the Moon, being right. the, the so it's so a, a BRP. A BRP, basically. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they so that came along, and and the, the company that used to uh, own that called Aventure Spell turned into Target Games, mm -hmm. turned into yeah. Paradox Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, which then split into one part, which is making interactive. interactive, which is games, yeah. video games, which is where I'm at now, incidentally. And also, but uh, Fredrik Malmberg went to, to LA and took all the IPs with him. To become Cabinet. Yeah, Cabinet, yeah. exactly. So he was Paris <laughs> Entertainment for a while, and then Cabinet. They have Conan, they have a lot of Robert E. Howard stuff, yeah. uh, a mutant, all the incarnations, including uh, uh, 
the the what, the one you just used. Uh, yeah, the Modifius one, Mutant Chronicles. Chronicles, exactly. That also came out. Um, so that's sort of the story of a mutant. And we yeah. made a version of that in two thousand one, uh, which we called Heirs of Doom or the Roman Right, and, and so then, that was, as you said, the forerunner. Uh, an early version of Year Zero, for what is a better word. Yeah, so we we, we made we basically made our version of the first one that came out in '84, yeah. and then Free Liga made it the again incrementally better version in, in, in Year Zero. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of how that had came came to be. So, did you call yourselves Young Women at that time? Was that was that the yeah. first yeah. incarnation yeah. of yeah. Young Women? Now it's new. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. We shuffled who's in it and who's not and all that. So we. we we started over, fresh, fresh ice. And I don't know why we did that, but I guess well, we, did, we had we, it. Let's uh, call it legalities uh, and ignore that board right. part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So uh, <laughs> we've gone off a little bit. So this was what year had you put, had you published that? Two thousand one was two thousand one. Yeah. And, and then we we ran that. We did. Was, did we publish it then, or was, did we start it? Did we actually? No, no, no. We we self published. Ah. Mm. We did all um, so it was uh, histories. Okay. You made mostly made cool, cool pictures, Mark. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> the rest of us—it's just a blur. The yeah, whole. yeah, hold on. Now, was that the point when Yen Ringen came into existence? Then was yes, that the, yeah. the, 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 yeah, yeah, the, the flagship game. Yes, yes. Yeah. <clears throat> then we did some other stuff. We we, we ran as a publisher. We published some books. We did some other small things, and then we realized we needed to branch out and have a second game. Uh, Mutant was still then a, a license from what was then Paradox Entertainment, yeah. cabinets now. Uh, so we wanted our own thing, so we we started uh, what eventually became Coriolis. One thing that really struck me in that discussion with Matthias and Martin was the, the clear parallels between their experience uh, growing up with role-playing games and ours. Yeah, I think they're what a few years younger than us or maybe a few years younger than me about exactly the same age as you i think they're a little bit younger than us a few mm. years yeah they certainly look younger than us anyway martin he looks so young but uh obviously <laughs> isn't <laughs> no no i know how to, it's shocking isn't it when i'm so young and i look so old it's just just, just yeah it's not you fair. look really old <laughs> i'll put it down to the stress of your job mate i put it down to the stress of my podcasting with my co-host yes Oh, right, okay, yeah, I guess so. Anyway, I was just going to say three things in particular I thought really struck, uh, chimed with me really well. They're, uh, they're sort of starting out in their role-playing experience with um, Draco Octimana and D&D, which whereas, you know, we all started with D&D back in the day, but then soon moved on to other things and, and more varied games. And in a way, I guess so did they, because I think, didn't they mention it was an English version of D&D? And Drakkar Okdemona is Swedish. And actually, right. it's a Swedish translation of RuneQuest. So yeah. when I was at school, you were a couple of years younger, um, but we moved on to RuneQuest quite quickly after uh, trying D&D for a bit. And I think we found ourselves a lot more comfortable with the D100 basic role-playing uh, percentage dice rolls as opposed to D20s. We were a lot more comfortable with that. And I think it seems to me... So was most of Sweden. It seems that way, doesn't it? I mean, I didn't really get into RuneQuest so much in those early days. I, I remember getting the, oh, I can't remember which edition it was, and not really liking it very much. And it was only 
when we played that RuneQuest campaign that our friend Andy ran, where I was playing Darthud, the cave troll, mm-hmm. that I really got into it and I really, really understood how good the game was. But I thought it was interesting that they then moved on to, in the way that we sort of moved on to Traveller and Call of Cthulhu, they talked a lot about cult, which I've had a little look at since the interview. Mm-hmm. And that looks really interesting. I like I like that it's got such a really good Cthulhu feel. But yeah, it's almost like Call of Cthulhu from the other side. So rather than generally playing investigators, as one does in Call of Cthulhu, you're playing um, mystics and cultists. I, as I understand it. I've never actually played it. It was translated into English a few years ago. And I think more recently as well, another translation uh, came out. But There was a recent Kickstarter back in 2016, I think, mm. that, that put out the uh, new Ella, a new revised version. I don't know whether that was in English or not, but I think you can still play all your usual stereotypes from Call of Cthulhu, such as your, you know, your police officer, your dilettante, your whatever you want it. But also you can, as you say, look at it from the other end where where you're looking at it from the point of view of the cultists themselves, which is, again, really interesting. And then I thought, interesting that Matthias mentioned Gamma World, because say I've still got a copy of Gamma World. It's a bit beaten and battered now. Um, some pages have fallen out, but it's still on my shelf with all my games. And I do remember having some really, really fun games of that back in the day. So that's a real nice sort of nostalgic blast from the past to talk about that. Yeah, now I never really enjoyed I think I only played one scenario of Gamma World and it didn't quite do it for me. I think the thing that was possibly uh, worked against it was it certainly felt like a sci-fi working of D&D with far fewer rules, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in the day, I think it was it was it felt very much like it was just following on in that behind the bandwagon of D&D, I think it felt. But I think one of the other things that I thought was really interesting in the Coriolis part of the interview I had with the guys, which obviously we didn't play, but they've got some really good uh, parallels with Simbaroom. For example, Matthias talked very much about his philosophy wanting games to be about the clash of cultures and with Simbaroom about being clash of cultures and clash of nature. Yeah. But also also the, the theme of, of space as a desert and sort of loneliness and uncharted and unexplored which I think for me is Davakar Forest in Simba Room, which again, there are mysteries and there are dangers out there. You don't know what they are. It's all unexplored. So that has a very similar philosophical feel for me, I think, as well. Yeah, I guess it's not as barren as a desert. No. But it is very much uh, us or man against nature or against the environment. Yeah. Isn't it? Both both games share that. But I guess uh, what makes... Simbaroom a little bit different from Coriolis is that nature itself is is constantly invading. You know, you've got the ruins of this ancient civilization sort of creeping back, growing over, being, uh, sorry, the nature growing back over those ruins. And uh, as he talked about a, a lot in, in the, the section that we're about to listen to, the uh, idea that if you try and bend nature nature will get back at you in terms of the corruption um of of magic users it's very much a a modern theme set in a a medieval fantasy setting of if you exploit nature too far you push it too far it will rebound and you'll be worse off for it yeah which reminds me um that 
he inspired me to watch two films again that um well actually to watch one film that i've not seen and to watch again one film that i have seen remember how he said that um Simba Room was based on the Studio Ghibli film Princess Mononoke yes. and uh, conversely Coriolis was inspired quite a lot by Event Horizon which I think he mentioned a couple of times we should have to listen to episode 12 to make sure now <laughs> um, I'd seen Event Horizon and I didn't think actually that much of it so I was kind of intrigued by that and I thought I ought to watch it again and since it was available for free on Amazon I um, I did and I still don't think much of it, to be honest. <laughs> I, I've never seen it myself. It's a kind of space horror film. It, you know, it's a bit like Alien or Aliens, I guess, in terms of its um, the pattern of its uh, storytelling. Uh, but I tell you what really struck me that I couldn't remember at all from having watched it before, and now seems so blimmin' obvious. I'm surprised I didn't see it. And that is how the aesthetics of uh, Martin Grips, Martin Bergstrom, as he was when he illustrated uh, Coriolis. Coriolis, but how Martin's illustrations are obviously inspired by the film uh, mm. because the, the event horizon itself is within the universe of the film, quite a strange looking ship, not so much from the outside, but from the inside, really dark, oppressive bits of machinery, doors that look like the gates to hell for reasons mm. that will become apparent. And actually, you know, I'm suddenly seeing that all over the painted illustrations in the Coriolis book. So I can see where those have come from. But one of the things that Mateus said about Princess Mononoke is that is a film about people over-exploiting nature and it coming back to bite them. It talks very much as well, that film, I think, about there being nobody, you know, no evil dark lord this is just sometimes we have to make compromises with ourselves, yeah. with our society, with nature itself. And sometimes we have to make decisions that, for all the right reasons, that we know are going to end up with all sorts of consequences that we're then going to have to deal with. Yeah. And that's the kind of story that are the most compelling and the most fun to either watch or play through a game. Yeah. So I'm really interested to watch Princess Mononoke, yeah. which is a film I know about but have never actually seen before we next play Simba Room, if I can. Okay, interesting. Well, we've kind of gone up to the point where Yen Ringen, the first iteration of Yen Ringen, um, went by the wayside. But obviously, for Simba Room to be, to be out here with us now and have been created, Yen Ringen came back with the new Yen Ringen company. So let's listen now to the part of the interview where Matthias and Martin talk a little bit about that, and then we get straight on into Simba Room. So, I guess then it comes to now, or not yeah. now, but a few years later, Yang Ringen is reborn. Yep. Yep. What what changed? What, what what made that happen? We've been working in like different like, video games for a while, all of us, like uh, us three, and we sort of just spent some time together and sort of start talking about what's fun in life. Yeah. <laughs> and no, basically, I mean, when you work... You, you have to sort of find uh, some new sort of creative creativity on the side and we sort of realized that we actually really liked working with uh, doing RPGs mm. and uh, we sort of why not do that again and that was kind of a the starting point for our and then we started sort of this guy oh what what's the sort of mo what what is it we actually want to do and the, and a fantasy role-playing game was sort of up there yeah. we never we actually never done that so we sort yeah. of okay 
with the post-apocalyptic and sci-fi but not fantasy. So it's like, okay, let's, so why not point. try to do that? Yeah. And um, we actually started thinking about licensing stuff from uh, like the old sort of, I mean, old Swedish uh, licensing uh, brands, but we decided after a while that we wanted to do our own and we then mm-hmm. sort of arrived. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so you talked a lot about the philosophies behind Coriolis. Yeah. What were the philosophies behind Syndrome? Apart from being fantasy, what 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 was your take on that fantasy world? Well, at least where it started was uh, if, if Coriolis was called clashes of culture, this is clash of culture and nature. Mm, uh, yeah. Sort of how 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 much can a culture use the nature around it without starting to suffer and we also gave it a, a very we imagine three forces as play one being nature as creative another force being the disciplinarian sort of that cultivates and when that goes too far you get entropy or in our case then corruption which yeah. eventually will come back and bite you um, a lot of the ideas are, are um, I mean the, the, these ideas float around uh, we just took our own on take on it it's uh, um, if you've seen the, what's it, the princess Mononoke yeah um, that was a huge um, inspiration just for that the whole it's an, it's nature a, it's an anime culture, yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. Where you know what it is or? yeah, no, yeah. Uh, my, my son was very much into yeah, yeah. Exactly. So when, when you over, overly exploit nature it's going to come back and we wanted to give that coming back uh, a more uh, sort of aggressive <laughs> monstrous <laughs> appearance hence, hence the third sort of dark power the corruption that again Created by men yeah. or, or people by not understanding really what they do or being short-sighted rather than men. so. <laughs> so you can you can see it as a if you want to. So that modern message. If you want to, yeah. you could yeah. And that, so that was part of it. And then we built on that um, from from a sort of fantasy standpoint. Um, that was sort of the, the beginning of that. So we have a civilized people uh, moving into to be, being basically in sort of an exodus moving into an area where, where a lot of barbarians are and they've been pushed back uh, and you have uh, sorcerers and uh, dark-minded people on both sides um, trying to, to, to use uh, them to, to get more of that, that juicy corruption that they can use right? <laughs> uh, short-sighted again because they will eventually lose yeah they hope they won't but <laughs> so like just saying that i can i can now suddenly see how and why your art is so different Martin for Symbaloon from what you were doing for Coriolis in in terms of I'm suddenly aware of how that nature always seems to be overwhelming relatively small figures (laughs) yes uh, in in that is that is that what you were aiming for sure terrible (laughs) why not (laughs) I don't know I'm yeah I guess I guess I mean you want to do something that looks very sort of uh, I don't know dramatic and I mean you just aim for that atmosphere of like mm. the, the imminent threat or the looming threat or that kind of sort of tension so, so there's always a sort of mist floating around that you can't yeah. see very far away and so most of it is just sort of to sort of cover things up you yeah. don't have to paint so much <laughs> but also one thing shouldn't that admit that because it's <laughs> smokes and mirrors but yeah, yeah, yeah but, but yeah. one thing that we do or that we strive to do that I don't think Fionigan uh, by nature how they the mechanics they have, they everything's on the table. 
you, there are very few secrets for players in their games. Right. Yes. We have a lot of secrets for players because yeah. we like the mystery, and I think people come to us for that sense of exploration. Meaning, you will step into a world, and you, you will learn more about it because there's a lot there. That also has a that's sort of a, a threshold for for game masters and players alike, in a sense that you need to accept the fact that there's going to be some learning going on. It's mm. not so fast. It's not just out of the box and playing. But there's a longer journey here that you can stay in. That'd be our sales pitch of what we did, right? Yeah. So <laughs> there's a difference between, but also mechanically, you choose sure. your mechanics you want depending on what type of game you want to have, right? Or you should. Mm. And if you want it to be like shallow, fast learning out of the box, you get one type of gaming experience. If you have a more of a slow burner, lots of exploration and depth in it, it's going to be a very different one. It's also going to appeal to slightly different uh, game masters and mm. the, and and, and the gamers and players, I guess. So there's one of the differences uh, in how I think we approach. Yeah, I well, love how Jan, how how Fialigan does it, but we have a slightly different approach to things depending on I think what we like to play. Yeah, mm. there's certainly a different feel. And I I, I came across Sim Room when I just caught sight of some of your artwork, mm. probably on. <coughs> The internet somewhere, yeah. and I thought, wow, and then what the hell is that? That's brilliant. And there's you know, the artwork's fabulous. And I, right, thank you. I'm not just doing the, the fanboy thing here, yeah. Yeah, but it is, you know, absolutely. It's okay, he likes it. Yeah, <laughs> okay, I will do the fanboy thing, <laughs> um, but stunning. And it made me the artwork was what because I'd never heard of Simbroom before. The artwork got me looking into it. Yeah, um, you know, I've now, you know, I've now got the game, we're gonna run it once, we'll yeah. be running it, running it more, yeah, and um. I think, you know, for me, the, the thing that I really, really like about it, because I, I started playing D&D again. Fifth edition, the last yeah. few months. Yeah. Hadn't played D&D since we, we, we 1990 gave, or something. We gave up yeah. for RuneQuest and Traveller in, like, oh. 1980. Early in the 80s, 80s yeah. yeah. And I played a little bit of D&D at university, yeah. which oh, would have really been about 89 or 90, yeah. but that would have been the last time. Yeah. So I was interested to get into it again. Right. And I think it, on my initial read of Simbaromi, it also had some... Clear parallels and, and similar feel, yeah. but then actually running the game, you could yeah. just see how different it was, yeah. and just the the dice mechanic, the the flexibility it gives the GM yeah. in terms of you know you haven't got loads of skill lists. It's actually ah. in the hands of the GM to come across any situation and yeah. say, okay, which are, which attribute applies here, yeah. which one would oppose that, and then crack on. It keeps the game really fast paced. Yeah. Um, Glad you say so. That's part of what we're no, but yeah. also putting the old dice rolls in the hands of players. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are no secret rules. There are no you know, what happens happens. The rule dictates. Yes. Uh, like the dice said so. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's more clearly a, a cooperative game. There's no DM, no DM or GM trying to manipulate things behind the scenes. It's like mm. you need to roll 16 or you're gone. Yes. Like, and everybody can see it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean that's another interesting element because the one game we played, yeah, I hadn't quite, died. I hadn't quite grasped the balance of strength of the characters against some other. You know, yeah. We put a couple of ogres up against yeah. Matt's character is an ogre. Yeah. Um, Matt probably should have died yeah. actually in that yeah. game, yeah. but first game didn't want to kill his lovely character off straight away. He's a great character. So, uh, <laughs> um, but ogres are. Yeah. But, yeah. but I think it was it was interesting for me in that the the, the player facing player rolling of the dice across the board. Mm. Um, there was there was one incident in the scenario where the players were observing an NPC being attacked by this he was evil thing in the dark, showing us how bad the nighttime is. Oh. Yeah, because because I had, so so my campaign, I just had this idea from um, I used to play World of Warcraft, yeah. and in that you've got a city called Gilneas, 
you're familiar with yeah. it, which has got this really dark sort of Victorian vibe about it. Yeah. And I wanted to try and get that into my game. Yeah. So anyway, it's going outside after dark is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the mechanics, I found I was they were rolling the dice yeah. for an NPC yeah. where another NPC was, and that felt a bit. I don't know. It just felt a bit off for me. So we, we were debating about yeah. whether I should have just narrated what happened and made it up or whether I would have then rolled the die yeah. and then narrated the outcome if I wanted there to be some uh, I mean, you can, you can do both ways it. depends on what you want to get out of it but if, if you see it as a teachable moment if you want dice in it or not I mean yeah but there you go. Oh, yeah. it has some limitations um, if you have a lot of uh, characters fighting each other we assume uh, is not the best system you have mm. we assume it's going to happen Rarely, I think we were right that the best way is to narrate the coolest outcome yes. rather than have the dice decide it because it's a cooperative game, it's not meant to be absolutely balanced and it's not meant to be like where, where PCs fight each other a lot. Yeah, so I guess every every system has its own, uh, and that's an interesting where it comes into play in a good way or is it weaker, right? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. Perhaps I hadn't really grasped that. Yeah, maybe actually Simbaroon, from what you're saying there, Matthias, is, is is kind of on that spectrum of just dice rolling random. This is how it plays out. Two completely cooperative narrative games. Yeah. Simbaroon is further along that spectrum. Oh, slightly or to the, the yeah, 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 a step. So actually, the, so it's a sort of a, a mix. And I, I, I've, I've, I've never been really true to games that I've played. I, I change stuff that I yeah. don't like, and I import things. I whatever and I guess I hope people do the same thing to the games that, that we make mm. right? if somebody doesn't like something we in the same way we try to be more transparent by having like um, a bunch of optional rules to just show these are the ways that you can simply modify the game without breaking it yes and, and I like the optional rule where you say yeah, the, um, the 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 kill version of the optional rule yeah. where you then just die if you lose all your hit points yeah like mm. in the basic which is uh, bad enough yeah. Anyway, without that optional <laughs> rule, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's just showing what you can do without. Yeah. You know, you don't have to alter the the numbers. You can just change what they do. Change the threshold. Yeah, bit. exactly. Yeah. And and you can find get yourself very different type of games. Mm. And, and um, I want to encourage people to think like that. So we gave them, I think, ten or twelve examples of where yeah. they could tweak it and get fairly different experiences, right? So I think one of the things for me with Simbaroom, uh, and also that we're finding with Coriolis as well. Is it's actually driving player behaviour to be a bit more careful. Yeah. Actually, you know, D and D, you see a monster charge in with your sword drawn. Yeah. yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if you die; you get resurrected anyway. Yeah. Um, I was being easy. careful. You were being careful, <laughs> but you're being really, really careful. Yeah. 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 Poor ogre. <laughs> no, but I guess that's we we play with relatively few fights. Yeah. And really high stakes fights. That's how I think we've always done. But we don't have that. You know you're gonna win when the fight starts. I think those, yeah. the partly on me as a GM, I think it's boring. So it's like like four pieces comes into a room and there are three skeletons there. Everybody's like, okay, this is a three and a half round fight. <laughs> yeah. It's boring, right? Yeah. So I don't do it. I just you walk in, I just skip a few rooms ahead and then you face sixteen skeletons and uh, you know whatever. And they're like, okay, we might die now. Yeah. Okay, good. Then we're in a good place to start. Yes. Everybody cares that this might go to hell. Yeah. So that's sort of the feeling that we want to have yeah. it sort of fits the, the nature is dangerous and corruption is even worse kind of theme that we have in, in 
Except for, of course, that friend of yours you were telling us about over lunch who was the barbarian and you always just run away and let him die because he always wanted to go and fight. Yeah. <laughs> There's always that. But it could you be, can always run. He, was, better he, to run, he can right? also yeah. say that he was sort of immune to, to experience. You could, <laughs> could have learned something from this. But, uh, you were just trying to teach him a lesson. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, mean, it was I was a, a, I was, a, I was a really bad teacher. He did, <laughs> he did not pick up on that. So, yeah. I think the other thing I was going to talk about is the, the, the kind of the dice mechanic. Yeah. So... Um, there's there's been in recent years some really good and some really bad examples of of dice pull yeah. mechanics in some yeah. games, yeah. and having played quite a lot of them, when I came back to D and D with just the one D twenty, I don't know whether I was I was spoiled for it, but it didn't feel like I had enough dice in my hand. And then <laughs> <laughs> you're playing a lot of vampires. Uh, maybe? <laughs> a long time ago, yeah. um, but um, uh, Legend of the Five feeling. Rings, yeah, or Star um, Wars, the D six version of Star Wars. I haven't read the D6 version of Star Wars, but things like uh, Shadowrun back in the day, which yeah. I didn't like very much. But uh, um, yeah. I don't. But but I think so. I just wanted to get your take on. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you've gone for what is, I guess, quite a traditional one D twenty approach to the mechanics. Yeah, I, I wanted to separate the success die and the effect die. Mm. Uh, and if you have a dice pool, it's usually you do both with one roll, and you roll more dice and get both. I. I sort of like both. I play both, mm. uh, but I'm I'm more comfortable with. I, I want people, pl I want players to be able to see on their character sheet what they need to roll to succeed. Yeah. And then they get a dice roll that also says this is the effect you have. So it's more of a. I think that the, the pool might be better in some instances, but it's also more abstract. I think for for. If you haven't tried it, it's harder to teach. Yeah, because it's and harder to calculate the odds. You're gonna you're gonna roll nine d tens versus a, a a four chance of success. Yeah. If you have it on a six, it's a fifty fifty. But if you do it on a you know a variable difficulty, there's gonna be sometimes maybe too much math. But yeah, it's not a bad mechanic. I, I a lot of games do it well. Yeah, I think some games do it well, and I think. The problem is the where it's kind of when you've already got a dice pool of six, eight, ten dice traps, yeah. where do you go? Yeah. You know, if you wanna if you wanna, you know, up the ante a bit, yeah. you just add another five dice and you end up needing yeah. a bucket to roll all yeah. your dice. Yeah. And it's gonna be uh, what happens in those is that you're gonna you're gonna come close to the statistical most likely outcome after yes. round ten or twelve. Yeah. So when we play Dungeons and Dragons and you're a fifteenth level wizard throwing 15 d8 damage you can just average it out because yeah. who cares so you get a fixed damage on that spell mm. why roll 15 when you know exactly you know the very short range is yeah gonna it's gonna end up in yeah. anyway it's gonna be you know yeah so so that's the thing and it ended up like that so if you have you need to roll six or better on a d10 you roll 10 of them okay you have five successes by average so let's roll go with that and yeah. spare ourselves a lot of rolling so, <laughs> yes you know, so, yeah. so it happens but that's mostly when you when you have a system that scales up high with number of dice yeah so. what interested me most about what he said there was how he felt the game was slightly designed to be something that took longer to get into than Coriolis uh, particularly you know he talked about Freya Legan's version of Coriolis being something you could pick up and play and 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 Simbaroom isn't quite like that now actually I found you know when you said you wanted to play Simbaroom we didn't have time to generate characters altogether which is what we like to do now but I'd picked up a cheap copy of the PDF on a, in a bundle or, or a special offer on um, drive-through so I took that home 
and I found it really easy to knock up a character really quickly and not just knock up a character but to get an understanding of what the game world was about and I think I mm. hope uh, that you think that my character Potboy does fit in very well with the game world I, I think your character Potboy and both Tony and Andy's characters who are both changelings fit the game world fabulously and I, I hate to take issue with anything that Matthias would say about Simbaroom, uh, particularly because it's his game, he's the designer. But I, I think I disagree with him there where when he was saying it's a longer learning experience to get into the game. You know, I disagree with that. I, I, I read the rules. It didn't take me long at all to get a feel for them. And it, But having said that, it, it, it was only when I played it that, that the beauty and the simplicity and the speed, the pace of the game, how all that was was facilitated and, and driven by by the rule system. It's only it's only when I played it that I really understood how good it was. So yeah. I, I read it. It looked fine. It looked okay. It didn't need a long lead in to work out how to try and run the game. Maybe for somebody who's you know very inexperienced, perhaps. But for an experienced referee, I don't think I don't think there's an issue there at all. And then, as I said, when I played it, it's only then that I really grasped. Well, these this mechanic is so straightforward, and it means there isn't there isn't any situation out there that I couldn't deal with quickly by a little bit of decisive choosing the right attribute as the uh, you know the, the key attribute, choosing the right attribute as the opposition, and then coming up with a figure, and then saying right, you need to roll fifteen, or you need to roll your whatever minus two or something. Yeah, and of course, then he confirmed that I was right when it comes to player facing uh, dice rolls. Well, I think there's an interesting discussion here. He did say, and I agree that I did did spot that, that yes, that situation that we talked about in the first game that I ran, you could have, as a referee, you he would have just narrated what came out of that. And I get that. I think that's um, uh, you know, a perfectly good way of doing it. And as we discussed in the interview, there is that spectrum between letting the dice drive absolutely everything mm-hmm. and no, you know, having a game that is a, a collaborative storytelling game where actually the, the the driving the narrative and choosing what the story is drives the whole game. Yeah. And I think there are some there are some there are some GMs and I think I'm one of them that sometimes likes not to know what the outcome of a situation is going to be, which is then why it's nice to roll dice for an NPC dealing with an NPC. There isn't always even for the GM a clear outcome no. from any given situation. So I I I like not knowing in that sense, so in that sense, I think rolling the dice for the NPCs might have been the right thing to do for me as a GM. But then maybe I should have done it rather than making you do it. But I still totally get the idea that if you're driving it for the players, for the narrative impact and all the rest of it, then the GM should just decide how it plays out and then describe that in uh, yeah in, in a in a, an exciting way. So just coming back to your point that he said it was. Uh a game that takes longer to get into that isn't a pick up and play game and yet we've both described me as a player you as a gm finding it really easy to get into what is actually a very simple rule set to operate and and quite a fast one as well yes i wonder whether actually he was particularly saying that contrasting the approach of janringen to freer league or freer again and i'm just wondering whether it's more about a publishing approach than actually the philosophical approach of writing in that we got Coriolis and with that core book I mean we got in Kickstarter a few extra things as well there's other stuff coming out that 
we know about and we'll be talking about in, in future episodes. But actually, that core book has got the whole horizon in it. And you know everything. You know, you can work out everything if you want from that single core book. Now, I get the impression that one of the things he was saying is that the game world will not just expand geographically with each publication that they put out from Jan Ringen, but the game itself, the philosophy of the game, and even maybe the mechanics of the game will develop with supplements. So if you like, we are getting quite a brief introduction to the game in that mm. in that first core book. And then as each supplement will build onto that and and that's the way that he's saying it's going to get deeper and will take time to really understand the game. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you and possibly disagree with you. So I think the thing with Coriolis is there. (laughs) Except the agreeing with you part, perhaps. Well, (laughs) Um, in Coriolis, you get all the rules. Yeah. Whereas in Simbaroom, the rules are really light. One of the things that kind of surprised me a little bit was that in the core book, there there aren't rules for things like um, ranged combat distances for the ranges. There aren't rules that I found anyway for the ranges of some of your magical abilities, like Tony's Brimstone Cascade thing. doesn't say how how far or how close he's got to be for that. So Mm. I made a ruling on the day, which is fine. Some people might be a bit uncomfortable with doing that, but for me, that's absolutely fine. In the advanced player guide, which I'd just like to say I, I ordered yesterday, it hasn't arrived yet. I do have the PDF, though. They do add a few additional rules that fill that gap around ranges and the like. So I think the difference is, Coriolis, you've got the rule set. I don't get a sense that they're going to expand the rules in that in any future supplements, particularly. Whereas in Simbaroom, you've got a foundation, a skeleton of rule set, which is perfectly workable and works really well, but they're adding little bits to it in, in other supplements. I think also on the setting question, in both games, you get loads of latitude to do your own thing. But in Coriolis, you've got the 36 systems. So that's set. Mm. In Simbaroom, you've got Davakar Forest with a few locations pinpointed in it, but the rest of it is effectively blank map. And it was partly that feeling of, oh, there's so many empty spaces here. What's in them? It's partly that feeling that made me create Granite Hold as the focus for the campaign that I'm running with you, Tony and Andy. Mm. One thing that Matthias did say, which um, caught my ear, was that Simbaroom as a game isn't something that plays well for large battles, large combats mm-hmm. with lots of protagonists. Yeah, I, you know, he was being really open and honest and candid with us. But I think that's it's not the only game that really suffers from that problem. And as you know, we I've run the Song of Ice and Fire role-playing game for quite a long time, a long campaign there. We've had quite a lot of large-scale skirmishes or big battles. And I've still never managed... I mean, I've, I've house-ruled it over and over again to try and get a system that feels quick, but also feels it's putting you in the middle of a battle that you, as one of the leaders of the army can actually influence and change the outcome of, of, of the battle itself. So I don't think Simbarum is in any sense on its own struggling with that problem. No. The only game I've felt I've played that I felt has managed it really well has been Pendragon when mm. Andy has been running our Pendragon campaign since 1985 or whatever it was. The battles 
for me as a player in that feel really good and as if you're actually in the mix and as if as a leader you can influence the outcome but they're also run very quickly very slick and gives a real good feel of being in a in a, a dark ages battle yeah now i agree and i guess what what matthias was really saying is that's not the purpose of this game no whereas i do think it's a real failing on song of ice and fire since that is a story that's all about big battles yes it's about the little people as well but it's often about little people caught in big battles and you know i I can't speak to the rules because you're the gm and you know i've i've only done what i'm told and rolled the dice when you tell me to roll the dice but um but yeah given that you've struggled to get a rule set you like that that recreates the the battle so i think the experience on my side has been fine but i can understand your struggle good good to hear um yeah that that's a failing on that part whereas i don't think it's a failing on matthias's part uh because this isn't yet at least a game about big battles it is about people wandering through the forest and i think it's a possibly a warning against you as a GM trying to think of a scenario that's that, that involves a big battle because I think you know he's saying that you'll probably find it doesn't work so well. No, I agree. I think my my driving philosophy for this campaign is to try and keep it small and intimate and not involving armies clashing all over the place. Which is exactly what thing... you said, isn't it? You said you wanted yes. this campaign to be about that rather than the Clash of Kings. So that's great. I think that's why we're playing this rule set. The other interesting thing, though, I, uh, that it dawns on me about player-facing combat is this is also not a game where you stab each other as players. <laughs> because what happens if that does happen? I, I mean, I don't know. You might have something in advance rules. But this is not a game where I am going to sneak up on Tony. Who does the player-facing die roll if that were to happen? That's a very interesting thing to uh, question to raise. Mm. I guess the the practical, pragmatic answer is doesn't really matter. The GM would decide at the time. Yeah, uh, I I would I would probably suggest it's the active party. So if you were trying to sneak up on Tony by surprise, <laughs> yeah, pop yeah. boy the ogre sneaking up on you know oh. uh, a very aware changeling. Well, as you but, know, pop boy is very quiet. <laughs> true, but as the active party, I think you would then be rolling the dice in that situation. <laughs> right? Yeah. I would suggest. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I oh, think interesting. that's interesting. You know, what is player facing when two players are facing each other? <laughs> yeah. Let's move on, though. There's just one little bit of the interview to go. And there is. that was Matthias talking about, or Matthias and Martin talking about the future plans of Young Ringen. We didn't learn that much, but it's interesting to listen to. <laughs> yes. I was going to say, actually, trying not to talk about the future plans of Young Ringen. <laughs> but yes, let's listen to that. I'm a player, so my my experience of Simba Room is limited, but watching what you're doing, you said earlier on you'd kind of run out of steam on Coriolis. It seems that you're not running out of steam at all on Simba Room. There are books coming out. Yeah, uh, the Kickstarter, the Codex at the moment. Uh, What's changed? What's different? How come come it's so easy to produce? Well, I say easy. Of course, it's hard work. I mean, we're in different times in our lives, I guess. I mean, you just... uh, over the years, we sort of just have this sort of, uh, I don't know, we just want to be creative again, I guess, yeah. because we have sort of this, uh, we've been working for a lot, we were working in your, like, in video game, for example, you, you sort of, a lot of things, 
is that you told what to do and you do you do it as well as you can and yeah. now you actually and after a while <laughs> you sort of want to do something by yourself and be creative and I think it's just over the years it's just that kind of grew stronger and yeah. now we sort of just try to yeah. go with it basically mm. in the case of Coriolis it was more we ran on steam as a company and as a group it wasn't that we had a, a lack of ideas no, no, exactly. we, we, we gave a quite large uh, large number of documents with ideas of what we want to do to you get and said if you want to use this these are our thoughts we don't care what you do with it it's just see it as inspirational or whatever mm. now we're sort of executing on that in, in, in Simurum where we have a fairly good idea uh, which we I don't foresee as running out of cool things to, to do uh, but uh, you know it's a uh, so we have, uh, right now we're, we're doing running uh, out of time too. running out of time to do it yeah, yeah, to uh, too much at the same time but right now yeah. we're doing a, a, like a monster a monster codex we're calling it uh, like sort of a beast tree mm. which at the point of broadcasting has got about five days left on the, yep. on the I think it's next yeah, Wednesday yeah, so, yeah, on the Kickstarter yeah, should be, should be, yeah. Um, so then we tried to find and, and the, the idea there was to take uh, each monster needs to do two things first off it needs to be a new type of tactical challenge uh, and secondly, it also needs to tell something about the world. Right? Otherwise, we're not going to include it. Yeah. So, so just no more monsters, but just more hit points, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're getting there. So people seem to at least enjoy the idea. Yeah. So the Kickstarter is doing well, so that's going to happen. Yeah, I've backed which it. Is cool. You can <laughs> <listen today. laughs> Thank Thanks. you, sir. <laughs> Um, in um, fact, actually, that we're, we're running out of time for this interview. I'm yeah. thinking. Um, but I did just want to ask. Has Kickstarter maybe changed the way you do business enough to make all the rest of the hustle of running a company yeah, easier? Worthwhile. Is, that, is that one yeah. of the things that's made it easier? I think it's a big difference between now and before. Yeah. I mean, we didn't yeah. have that before. Yeah. We, we were struggling a lot how to actually... I mean, we had never sort of run a company before, basically. Yeah. Right and then we have learned a lot since then. So now it's... It's at least easier. Easier. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, yeah. we know that it falls in some ways, and we had sort of how to deal with yeah the business side of things. I yeah. guess. Uh, so. I mean, the biggest risk for any small company is that you grossly overestimate how much people want mm. on your product, and you end up with uh, like having a. Yeah, a warehouse. a warehouse full of things people don't want and you have to pay for that yeah. And, yeah. and with Kickstarter you get a really good indication of what people want and mm. they can tell you no early when it's also not so costly for you so so that for that we're uh, we're thankful Kickstarter again has its requirements on how you how you manage it but if you if you do it a couple of times you quickly learn yeah. how to do it well and what to avoid and all that to make people not grumpy uh, <laughs> So we're getting there, and I think for us it's a hugely beneficial tool, keeping risk down, so we can keep going for, yeah. for the long haul. Right? That's good. Pretty good I think my one last question would be: yeah. um, Beyond Simbarum, looking a few years ahead, do you have other ideas for other games that you are working on? No, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, there's more. Anything you like to share further, um, or uh, can we hints? Should we come back to you in a year's time? Can we contact you later and give you a few yeah. tips? If you, you promise to early. contact us, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sure, uh, definitely. We we're looking at that stuff right now. We're, we're sort of uh, our, our pipeline is full of similar stuff uh, yeah. as it should be, but I think uh, we have other cool ideas that we would like to show people and see if they're interested. But that's. Uh, 
it's a year or, no, or, or two out before yeah. we start talking about it. But look forward to hearing more about all of those ideas. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mates. Thank you, thank Martin. You. Thank it's you. Been welcome. Fabulous. Thanks, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Well, they weren't giving many clues away, were they? I'm really intrigued mm-hmm. to know what sort of game they've got in mind. Well, they did say come back in a year or so, and I think we probably ought to take them up on that offer, even if it was just a throwaway line in the interview. Yeah, <laughs> we will. Let's let, let's get that exclusive when when the Kickstarter's announced, shall we? If we can, absolutely. Uh, I'm, yes. I'm I'm even. There wasn't even a clue about genre. We don't know whether it's science fiction or fantasy or modern day or anything. No. What 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 would you like to see them produce? um well it's it's funny having had our little trip and talking about all these games that we've played in the past i got a real hankering the other day to play cyberpunk again Mm. so i'd be quite i'd be quite interesting interested to see something set just a little bit in the future a bit cyberpunky perhaps because that's a game i really enjoy playing uh i had a lot of fun running that so yeah i could go i could go cyberpunk Okay, well, given that Coriolis is Event Horizon and that Simba Room is Princess Mononoke, which cyberpunk film do you think they should produce their next game inspired by? Um, I'd just like to say that Matt hasn't given me any notice about this whatsoever. So I'm we don't we don't have a script. We never head. run by script. Come on, come um, on. What's what what cyberpunk film would I like to see? Oh, I don't know. Um, I'll have to have a think about that one. But what well, setting would you like? Well, actually, I don't think a successful cyberpunk film has ever been made. But I'll wait for Matthias to say we are doing cyberpunk and it's based on this brilliant film. Um, well, I guess I guess it'll probably take something from the original Blade Runner. It'll probably take something from Matrix. It might take something from all those. Ah, of course, common. yeah. I think actually you're right. The original Blade Runner probably is the film to do. I tell you what, I'd like to see, and it's not actually uh, from a film at all. But my favourite cyberpunk book, or kind of cyberpunk book, is The Diamond Age from Neil Stevenson, and mm. I think it'd be fun to see that. But we'll have to wait and see. We will. We will. One last thing, I was just going to say. As of recording, we uh, have finished the Simbaroom kickstarter for the monster codex and they managed to get over a million swedish krona so they got the roll-up dice bag um, the roll-up dice tray which is excellent news i should look forward to receiving my one of those uh, in due course but that's great news and delighted that that's gone that's gone so well excellent well um, i'm very pleased for you uh, obviously i didn't contribute to this because you know you can only back so many kickstarters and uh, I'm still paying for Coriolis, which you made me back last time. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm still paying for Western that you made me back last time. Yeah, <laughs> we but... made each other back that one, actually. And that'll be another <laughs> Swedish of... game to add into the mix. Maybe we can get a co- uh, an interview with uh, Ask for Girl uh, when, when oh, that comes out. Absolutely. I think we should. The other thing just to say before we sign off is our next episode is going to be some more of the interview with Free, Free League. Uh, on Coriolis. Well, you should say the next episode of the Coriolis Effect will feature more of that interview, but you've got plans as well for Simba Room, haven't you? I have, because we recorded the first actual play that we ran a few weeks ago, and we've got that not quite ready to go yet, but I'm thinking that if uh, if if our if our listeners are, are interested, 
then we'll try and put out uh, the actual play of that scenario over the next, I guess, two or three months, probably, interspersed between normal episodes of The Coriolis Effect. But that will also be three episodes of about an hour, an hour and a half each. Well, that's brilliant. Uh, well, I think I'm done here, and I haven't even got a witty sign-off like uh, May the Icons Bless Your Adventures. You know the world of Simbaroo <laughs> more. Do you, have you got a better sign-off? I could probably think of one, so say goodbye then, Matthew. Okay. Well, it's goodbye from Matthew, and it's goodbye from Dave. And may the sun god Prios bless your every waking moment. How does that do? That sounds good. For off the top of, for off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs>